great joy to have a shared preaching ministry, and Johnny's done an incredible job in the discipleship series this summer, and now kicking us off in the book of Titus. So this little journal, I joked about it when we started and said they had to put First and Second Timothy together with Titus because Titus only had like four pages, you know, but uh, I didn't realize how important it was going to be for you to also have Timothy at your fingertips for us to be able to study through this together. So this last week, I went in for my annual physical, and I not only had blood pressure, the pills are working, uh, pulse, you know, and all the breathing tests and everything else that goes involved with that, but I had seven different panels of blood work done. And it was just part of the checkup. And the doctor told me, uh, she said, our, she's internal medicine, our, our family doctor. She said, and you're going to get the results of these tests before I see them. So it's just up to you. You can look at it and try to figure it out, or you can wait and let me send you the summary. So before the day was over, they started popping into the little app that I had. And as you might can imagine, I decided I wanted to be the doctor, you know. So I started flipping through, trying to read the panels and see what was there, see what was in the, the normal zone and what wasn't. And then finally I just gave up and said, all right, I'll just let her tell me. And uh, I'm pleased to say that when she wrote, she said it was all good. And so, you know, for the condition that I'm in, I'm in good health. And, you know, I, it's, it's just when you think about being healthy, what does it mean to have a healthy church? You know, I've been a part of church families that were not healthy. I'm not going to take a survey to see what you think, but I've been a part of churches that had a lot of drama, had a lot of uh, internal fighting, some of it public, some of it just undercurrent. I know you find that hard to believe in the church family, but I, I've seen that's just when you have people, you have problems. Uh, I was teaching a bunch of elders over in Africa years ago, and uh, I, I think I've told you this story. They found out what size church I pastored. They kept asking me, and I wouldn't tell them. But finally, one of our volunteers told them uh, the, the large church that I was pastoring there in Virginia, and they came in. They were all just like whispering, you know, and all this, and I said, what's wrong? They said, we know about your church. I said, really? They, and they started saying, you know, about all the people that were attending, and I said, yeah, but here's the problem. If you have people you have problems. And if you have a lot of people, what do you have, glass? You have a lot of problems, right? And so it happens. Even in church families, there are times when things aren't healthy. You know, it's really hard if you're trying to preach on a healthy church when it's not. <laughs> but it is so much fun for me to be able to talk to you this morning about a healthy church family because we are. As a matter of fact, if people ask us about what happened during the COVID season when it hit us a little over a year ago, year and a half ago, and we started into that, we had no clue what it was going to be like. We had no clue if we were going to be able to pay the bills. We didn't know what was going to happen, but, you know, we never skipped a beat. And as a matter of fact, I can honestly say I think we are healthier now than we've ever been because you took time to check up on each other, you attended Bible studies with each other, albeit on Zoom much of the time, and you found ways to interact with each other, and we are, at this moment, 
a healthy church. But you don't get health just because you experience it in a moment. You have to work at it to maintain what it means to be a healthy people. And today I want you to see that in this book of Titus, right here at the beginning, it was easy for me to choose that introduction on health because Paul writes to Titus and he uses two medical terms. Do you have, do you have this handy or you have your Bible? I hope you'll bring them both because we're going to look at some things that might not be in here. But in Titus chapter 1, Paul said, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. So this morning, we're going to ask God to show us something about healthy church families and healthy church leaders. And you know, I am totally inadequate for this, but God's word is perfectly adequate and his spirit knows you. So pray with me again. Father, we open this book with great reverence. We ask now that you would use it to be our teacher, that you would speak to us in very personal ways, and we'll give you credit for it's your voice speaking, so we prepare whatever you say, Lord. That's how we want to respond, because we trust you. It's so good to know that we can trust your intent for us is good. You are a good, good father. And we worship you now as we present our lives and open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Two medical terms right here at the beginning. The first is this, put what remains into order. Now, it's a compound word. I, I love to, to get behind the, the words in the original text. I would encourage you to to use your uh, computer for good and have access to a blue-letter Bible sometime and click on the meaning of these words when they were originally written. And you'll find this is a compound word made up of a couple of prepositions, but the root word here is the word ortho, where we get to make straight. Now, there probably were not too many opportunities for orthodontists in the New Testament era, all right? They could probably pull the teeth, but I'm not sure they were able to do much more to make it straight. But we do also have the whole idea of what goes on when you have, let's see, is all that popping up on the screen? My computer just went crazy on me. Uh, what happens when you find a broken bone and you go to an orthopedic doctor and try to set that straight so it can heal? Paul says to Timothy, hey, look, you've got to put some things in order. You've got to get some things straight so that they will grow correctly. But there's another medical term that's used. It's found if you look in Titus 1, verse 9. Now, as, as he goes to that, he says, he's describing a church leader, and he says he's got to be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Now, the word sound, when we hear it, is sound, <laughs> you know, something you hear. But what about the phrase safe and sound? What's going on there? It literally, behind it, is the word for hygiene or healthy. And interestingly, in this little journal that you have, if you'll look at it, it's used four times on page 38, all right? And when you, when you flip over in, on this part, you're looking at it, he says, in sound doctrine, in verse 9, and then he says, in sound faith, in verse 13. And then he says again in chapter 2, verse 1, in sound doctrine. 
And then in verse 8, he says, in sound speech. So, Paul is wanting Titus to help this church to be healthy. So, what's going to be healthy when it's set straight and when things are functioning according to God's design and health? Well, the next thing is back in verse 5, he said, I want you to put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town. So there's a connection between something being put straight or being put in order and in appointing elders. Now, I can even go a little bit further and say a healthy church family has healthy church leaders. Now, right about now, some of you are saying, okay, I'm not a church leader, so maybe I shouldn't have come today. Well, let's talk about that for a minute. I mean, you do have a Bible, right? And this page does not say for leaders only. Nobody else can read it. So what, one thing that happens is when you start looking at leaders, it gives you something that you say, I want our leaders to be held to this standard. But as you're going to see next week, we're going to see the qualities of maturity, and we're going to all say whether we have an office of leadership or not, I want to be a mature believer, don't you? I mean, I look around, I've heard many of your stories. Some of you haven't. But I've heard many of your stories, and I've heard you talk about being a personal follower of Jesus Christ. And if Christ is living in you, he didn't come to live in your heart just to be insurance for when you die. He came to live in your heart to transform you and change you from the inside out. And growing into maturity, leaders are supposed to give us a picture of that that we can aim for, but it's also to give us the qualities we'll see next week that we all want reproduced in our own life. Now, some of you are married. So if you ever hear someone talk about a wife is supposed to do this or a husband is supposed to do that, you think, well, no, 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 I'm not going to listen, no? No, it's, it's good for us to understand the design, and the expectation. So I'm going to ask you, please, for the purpose of praying for your church leaders and for the purpose of you growing in maturity yourself, don't check out on this introduction that Titus is giving to talk about what it means to have elders in the church. Now, this is a very special moment for our church family. I could say it's because we finally got occupancy for the, for the modular units, but I won't go there, all right? That's pretty special too. But we have a special moment as a church family because we are in a time of transition of learning what it means to stand on our own two feet again. There was a time when the church was not able to function here in this building. They went over to First Baptist Church Woodstock and said, hey, we're going under, would you help us? And some of you know the story of how this became a campus of First Baptist Church Woodstock. And so for a few years, it was under their direction and under their leadership. We had no decision that we made here except we would come together. We, we could decide what to sing. And then, then we finally they turned over the preaching and we could decide who, what we we're going to be preaching. But we still had to have our budget approved and everything we did. I remember those days, and I know you do, Johnny, like how much money did they give you? Well, they never gave us the money part, all right? But they were in charge of the governance here of how this worked. But then last year, it's hard to believe that it was just last year, it was January of 
2020 when we said, okay, we're going to ask them to release us as a campus. It was their decision. It was a mutual thing. They had five campuses, and now all five of them are on their own. We were, I think, the first to take, no, Stone Mountain was the first to take that step. So we moved to what is called autonomy. Now, I know you're blessed today to come and hear this word, all right? But, but you can look at it built into it, autonomy. It's self-governing. That's, that's literally what it means. And so during that time, each campus took a step to become self-governing, meaning they make their own decisions and set their own direction. Now, we voluntarily cooperate with some other churches to do our mission as Baptists, but in our understanding of a governing body, now we as a church are on our own. So what do we do? Well, no one saw the COVID shutdown coming, so in February, in our great brilliance, perfect timing, in, in February, we said, okay, we're going to have a transition team, and you approved six, three of our pastors on staff, three laymen, to work together as a transition team to move toward finding legal documents and how we can make sure that the board was no longer found over at First Woodstock, but it was found here, registered with the state of Georgia, but also to have deed to the property, which is an entirely different story that we look forward to telling you one day. But we are thrilled to say that we have absolute deed to the property. There is no debt here. There's no house payment. Uh, some of you think I'll never live old enough to be able to say that about where I live. But, but isn't it great that we as a church family can say the money we have, we're, we're, able to, we're free to invest it and do the right kind of ministry because we are on our own. We're self-governing. Now, in this process, we've been putting together a constitution and bylaws. We're going to be giving it to you so that everyone will see openly and clear this is how we operate. That should happen soon, I pray. We're close, but I, I want you to see today, though, the perfect timing for us to be talking about how we're organized and how we function as a church. I left you in Crete. Johnny told you last week, in case you missed it, it's an island. And that island of Crete had many little ports there. It would have been a perfect place for Paul to say, great place to set up the gospel. Let them bring the ship in. We'll get them saved. We'll send them out. And, and so they would see the cycle of a missionary strategy there in Crete on that island. But he said, Titus, I needed you to stay to appoint elders. So let's, let's talk about that word elders for a minute. I'm just curious. This would really help me if you would totally participate, okay? Uh, how many of you have ever been part of a church that had elders? Call their, call their leaders elders. Can I see your hands? Okay, come on. Leave them up just for a second. I'm kind of surprised that's far more than I thought would show their hands, all right? So it was well over half, in case anybody was wondering. I uh, almost could say take a picture of that. <laughs> so Because I want to understand what you understand, okay? So that we'll know how to walk through this together. Now, what does this word elder mean? Well, when we talk about elder care here in the United States, that's not necessarily a good thing. Some of you have to look forward to the fact that when you hit something like 50, certainly 55, you'll be bombarded with things from the AARP, and everybody will start telling you that you're a mature adult. Uh, I used to think maturity had value, okay? And now 
I mean, even at the checkout on certain days, they say, this is senior adult day. You know, you can get a discount here, right? You know, well, never mind. Let's, but I want you to see that, that in its root in, in chapter 2, look, look over there in chapter 2. You, know, you have to turn the page in this little journal. But if you go to page 38 and look at it, it says older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love. We'll get to that when we get to chapter 2. Older women likewise. Now, those two words in their root form mean elder. One male, one female. But you cannot appoint age. You have to grow into it. So whatever he's saying in chapter 1 is not just talking about age. As a matter of fact, he told Timothy, remember, don't let anybody despise your youth. It's not like you have to wait to a certain point. I guess you have to be a certain age to be the president of the United States. But, you know, I mean, so, I mean, what do you, what do you need in age to be an elder? What do you need, need in age to be a church leader? Well, Titus was told he needed to be appointing these elders, these mature ones who would be recognized as leaders. Now, is that a good Bible word? Somebody played that back to me not long ago. That They said, you know, you know how pastor you used to always say, now the Bible word for this is, you know, what is the Bible word? What is the original word? What is written down for us talking about leaders in the church? Well, in the book of Acts, chapter 14, it gives a little summary. It's not in your journal. All right, that's what I told you you might need to bring your Bible to. In the book of Acts, it gives a little summary. It talks about how Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel in Derby, and then they'd made many disciples, and they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And as they went, they appointed elders for them in every church. They didn't appoint their age, but they recognized them as leaders. We could go back and look in the Old Testament and see the elders. We could go to the, the Revelation and see the elders. There's in cultures, in society, unfortunately not so much in ours anymore, but there's a recognition of value to somebody who's lived a little life and maybe experienced a few things that they may have a perspective that's worth hearing. I've been to places in Africa where you would walk into a village and they'd say, we'd love to have you te teach, but we have to go first get permission from the elders. And they would take us to meet with some of the older people in the town and get the blessing. Then we'd come back in the village and set up and start teaching. Who are these elders that have been appointed in the church? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out here in Titus 1. To put in order what remained and appoint elders. We're looking at what it means to be healthy, what it means to be set correctly. So here's what we're saying. There seems to be in the New Testament some interchangeability that explains this word elder. Look in Titus 1. We saw it in verse 5, but now jump down to verse 7. For an overseer as God's steward. The word steward is not used very often. It, it's talking about the keeper of the house, the one that's been put in charge of something that belongs to somebody else. We'll get to that next week, all right? But I wanted you to see the parallel between the elder and the overseer. That's two of the words 
in the New Testament that are used interchangeably. Here's the third one. Elders, mature ones, overseers providing oversight, shepherd pastoring the sheep. Now, I'm kind of curious. If I ask you which of those three words you're most familiar with, I think you'd probably say the third one, right? Pastor. So here's a little bit of trivia for you. How many times in your New Testament do you think the word pastor appears? If you have the ESV in your lap, not a single time. If you have other translations, you're going to find it in Ephesians 4, where it says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some evangelists. The shepherds and teachers are the pastor teacher. Then it goes on to explain what happens. The pastor is the one who's helping teach the congregation. The pastor is the one who's helping to equip the saints. The pastor is the one who's trying to help the body grow up and be healthy and mature and everybody be able to function in ministry. Well, if, if the word shepherd is used and not the word pastor, oh, by the way, think about this. Some of you learned Luke to Christmas story, even when you were little kids. I mean, I've seen little kids stand on the stage and quote the whole thing. And there were in those days shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Right? Shepherds. Pastors. Shepherds. Why don't we just use the Bible word? Shepherd Johnny. Why don't we just use that word? Well, first of all, everybody in the community would think we were weird. <laughs> all right. I mean, they would say, what's wrong with you guys, right? Got all these shepherds running around. Not any sheep within how many miles, all right? We might could find one tucked away in some little pot of ground around here somewhere. But we, I mean, we don't even know anything about sheep, right? I mean, we, we're clueless. But the Bible says that we are the sheep of his pasture. The Bible says that we have been called by the great shepherd of the sheep to follow him. The Bible says that the under shepherds, the pastors, shepherd the sheep. I, I jokingly say sometimes like sheep dogs, you know, barking, trying to get people to follow the great shepherd. So this word for, for pastor that, that is used and so often it's just the word shepherd. And we would do so well if we would stop and think shepherd every time we think pastor. Why? Well, you grew up with pastors. And those of you who attended church built an expectation of, of what the pastor is supposed to do. Here's how the pastor is supposed to function. I'll never forget leaving a church plant much like this one that had seen some phenomenal growth, and then I went to pastor a traditional church down in Hampton, Newport News, Virginia. Every Sunday morning, KK and I would stand at the back door. Most of the young adults went and found their kids, but all the old people would come out of the back door. And almost every week, some lady would come by and say, I was in the hospital this week, and you didn't come to see me. I'd say, 
I'm sorry, which, which day were you in the hospital? Well, I went in Sunday afternoon, and I got released Tuesday night. I said, my day's Wednesday. It really was, okay? <laughs> I said, my day's Wednesday. Next time, if you'll get sick on Wednesday, I'll come to see you, all right? But, I mean, there was just this constant expectation of, hey, pastor, here's what you're supposed to do. Almost like a little monkey on a chain, you know, that you could just jump around. Expectations of the pastors doing things. Well, why did you leave the door unlocked, pastor? I mean, you're supposed to be the last to leave, right? I mean, why did, why did you clean? Didn't you clean? I mean, it's just amazing what kind of expectations people have because they don't think shepherd. They think hired guy down at the church. I remember standing there. I asked KK. I said, were you standing there with me that day? She said, yeah. We're standing at the back door. This lady came by. She said, I was in the hospital, and you didn't come to see me. Different lady. And I said, you don't want to be that sick? <laughs> she said, what? I said, I go on Wednesday, or I come when they're dying, you know? So if you want to be in the hospital on Wednesday, I'll see you, or if you're dying, I'll be there. When I walk in the door, get worried, all right? I mean, I've actually had people, when I walk in the door, say, am I that sick? You know, <laughs> What's your expectation of a pastor? Could it be that really he's supposed to be a mature one who leads and feeds the sheep? The word overseer literally means to see over. Now, aren't you blessed? I'm glad you came to hear that, right? It, it means to see around. It's episcopos, all right? The scope to have the understanding of where the limits are and to try to get the sheep moving that way and helping the church stay organized to be healthy that way. Now, why is all this important? Because I think it's really important that you understand, that we understand at this stage in our young church life that God expects there to be more than one leader. Johnny and I went over this years ago. I said, Johnny, here's what's going to happen. When we start team preaching, somebody's going to say, you know, I really like Johnny better than Al. So what are you going to do with that? And they're going to come to me and say, you know, I really like it when you preach. What am I going to do with that? Hopefully we're going to do the same thing that parents do in the home. Don't let the kids manipulate you. Mommy will not let me have ice cream, so I'm going to ask Daddy, right? I mean, kids figure those kind of things out. And I say, Johnny, what a great opportunity we have in body life to have team preaching and teach the congregation that it's not about the heavy-handed dictator who's standing up in the pulpit. It's about the people of God being equipped, knowing how to live the Christian life in a healthy setting. And one thing we need to get very clear in the Scripture there's always a reference to more than one leader when you're referring to a church family. You may hear more in our culture about the pastor. I'm not going to have to call him the shepherd. I said, That's not the point of this morning, all right? But to change your expectation to know what is, what's going on and what he's assigned to do. But the elders, plural, in Acts 14, in 1 Timothy 
isn't it great that you've got this little book in your hand, all right? If you don't have your Bible handy, you can turn back to 1 Timothy. And you can look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's page 16 in your journal, all right? You can turn back there and you can look and it says, Do not neglect, Timothy, what was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. As we've been trying to write these constitution and bylaws, we've tried to stay away from calling it the board of elders. It's okay if, you, if you've been part of a church that called it the board. I just think boring is, you know, is what happens in boards. You know, it's, it's a boring thing. And I also think that it gives this idea of we make the decisions. We don't do anything about them, but we make the decisions, right? That's the board. No, we are the body of elders. We are the council of elders. We are the plural, this group that's trying to give leadership to the congregation. Now, in chapter 5, it's still on page, no, it's not on page 16. I think you have to turn the page. On page 18, you say, what happened to 17? It was the note sheet there on the side, all right? So on page 18, it says in, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, let the elders who rule well, I've got it here, be worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. <laughs> Boy, did you get blessed this morning. Uh, ox now, she sheep first, ox now. What, what's this talking about? Well, the Old Testament says, hey, look, you expect when the ox is working, you know, you're going you're gonna to feed it, and you expect when you hire somebody, you're going to pay them. And if you're going to ask your pastor, shepherd, teacher to not work another job, you're going to compensate him. Now, this is a very important point. And I have so much freedom in making it because I've been doing this a long time and I'm not presently being compensated by the church in any way, okay? I have no uh, remuneration for the services provided, right? We don't hire pastors for services provided. We don't say, if you work this many hours, we're going to pay you that much. That's not how church does. That's how all that works. That's how it happens where you live. But that's not what happens in the church house. In the church house, you say, look, we don't want you to have to work another job. So we're going to put a roof over your head and some food on your table. Hopefully not like that church that said, Lord, you keep him humble, we'll keep him poor, you know, so that we make sure he's humble. But hopefully you can give him enough that he won't have to work another job and his family can be provided for so he can work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, so what does that mean? I think if you look carefully here, you'll find especially those, and you'll find the implication happening in the New Testament. Some of the elders are paid, some are not. Now, why does that matter? Why does it matter to have a plurality of leaders? I'll tell you why. I've always had, in every church I've pastored, I've always had people say, who does your performance review?" To whom are you accountable? Who decides if you're going to get a raise? I mean, are you really in charge of all this and nobody tells you anything what to do? 
And I'd have to go in those settings and explain the structures we had for accountability. And I'm so happy that I've always had, even though I haven't always had elders, and we'll talk about that on another day, I've always had structures inside church leadership that there was accountability and there was some mutual responsibility. So why does any of that matter to you today? A healthy church has a plurality of leaders. Please hear me. We've all seen enough bad preachers on the television and heard them on the radio. Sometimes I get to preach along and I give them a hard time. You know how some of these TV preachers are? And then I had one guy walk up to me and said, you do know you're on TV every week, right? I said, well, uh, you know, you know what I mean. I'm not one of those guys who's trying to say, you send me your money and you'll do well, right? I'll have your money and you won't, but you'll be blessed. But this whole idea of not having the dictator controlling everything with no accountability is just not a healthy church. And it's not a biblical church. It's not the pattern of Scripture. The pattern of Scripture is there will be a plurality of leaders, there will be shared leadership, there will be mutual accountability, and you know what will happen? The ministry will multiply. I picture it like in the book of Nehemiah when it talked about setting the people at different places around the wall. And the leaders were scattered around the wall. Because if you're on the wrong side and something happens, who's going to be there to help? And the blessing of a plurality of leaders is we're already experiencing it in our transition team, even though we've not taken the step in how we are organized yet. You're going to get a chance to participate in that. But when we come together, it's so good to be able to say, so is there anybody special you're praying for right now? And someone bring up a special need and we go, I didn't know that. I would not heard that. And for us to stop and pray together because we're scattered in different circles and moving with different friends and learning different things that are happening. We're going to keep talking about how these leaders are involved and what's expected out of their personal life But today, I just want you to see a healthy church is going to have a plurality of leaders. If I can go back far enough to find it, there we are. It's going to be those who are called overseers and shepherds. And there's going to be a working together with some paid and some not. And the freedom that comes with that. I'm telling you, there's just so much freedom when there's a plurality of leadership. Very often, I would have someone come to me and say, hey, can you give us some money? You know, we can't, we can't pay our rent. And I'd say, well, I, I'm really sorry. I might can personally give you some, you know, but I'm not in charge of the church money like that. We've got a process, and I'll be glad to let you sit down and meet with some other church leaders, and we'll figure out how to try to meet that need. It's great freedom in that, that I don't have to know everything and do everything and make every decision but there's a shared leadership and a shared responsibility and accountability. So you say, all right, 
thank you for the lesson in church organization and structure. What in the world does that mean to me? Well, you remember what I said when we started? A couple of medical terms. Put something in order and be healthy. So let's just hold this up now like a mirror and let me let you look in your heart. Is there anything in your life that needs to be set straight? That's part of what happens when we come to worship. We sing about the magnificent God we know. We, we talk about him in his word, about how he made a way for us to know him. We talk about our sinfulness and our need for a savior. We talk about how Christ took all of our sin upon himself. And then we talk about what it means to walk with him and talk with him and know that we are his own, that we are his child. And to know that when something gets out of whack, he says, don't run from me. Just come to me and confess what's wrong, and I can make it right. Oh, what a shame it would be if we gathered today in worship and you didn't understand how Jesus took your sin on the cross and was raised to be your new life, and you didn't know what to do with that thing that's eating you up inside. I'll tell you exactly what to do. Come to him and say, Jesus, this is so crooked and out of whack. Would you help me make it straight? I want to be healthy. Is there anything that you're going to see all throughout this book? There's healthy teaching and there's healthy living. There's the word of God and the good works of God's people. There's sound doctrine and there's sound living. And this morning, I just have to believe that in a worship service like this, all of us can say, God, there's something I'm trusting other than you. And I need to trust you. And Lord, there's a way I'm living that's not honoring to you. And I want my life to be healthy a healthy church family has healthy church leaders. But a healthy church family is not made up of passive listeners. It's not a spectator sport. It's not something you watch like you've been watching the Olympics. Frustrated that you could just go online and see who won, but you're going to watch it anyway, right? <laughs> so you're watching them run, you're watching them swim, you're watching them play ball, and you're just watching. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is all of us participating in this thing called following Christ and showing others that He's real. Is there anything you need to make straight? Is there anything unhealthy you need to bring to Dr. Jesus and let him prescribe for you his resurrection life?